Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the January 20th, 2023 Friday reading of the New York Times Travel Section. My name is Michelle Wexler. Today we will be reading the following main articles, Biofowl, the Stowaway Turning Dream Cruises into Trips to Nowhere, written by Natasha Frost. And Could Air Someday Power Your Flight? Airlines Are Betting on It, written by Paige McClanahan, and following up with miscellaneous articles. We begin with the first article, Biofowl, The Stowaway Turning Dream Cruises into Trips to Nowhere. Passengers heading to New Zealand face an unexpected threat. Pesky marine life that has led to delays and spoiled long-awaited vacations. This by Natasha Frost. Floating on the Regent Seven Seas Explorer, billed as the most luxurious ship ever built, voyagers wanted for nothing. The drinks flowed. Passengers dined on plates of buttered escargot, then walked them off in circles around each of the cruise liner's decks. Some passed the time with trivia games or novels, or sat and pondered the view of endless blue ocean from the ship's infinity pool. Beyond these luxuries, all they could have possibly asked for, said Charles Hadlock, one of the 700 or so passengers aboard the ship, was to visit the New Zealand sites that many of them had traveled thousands of miles to see. Which, sadly, is not going to happen, Mr. Hadlock of Fort Worth, Texas, said in messages sent from the ship. On December 29th, the explorer departed Sydney for a 14-night multi-stop voyage through Australia and New Zealand, with visits to Napier and Rotorua, two cities on New Zealand's North Island, and Wellington, the capital, on the schedule, as well as days of cruising through the country's fjords. Instead, passengers spent two weeks floating at least 16 miles from any land in the ocean on a cruise to nowhere after the ship was found to have biofowl a catch-all term for foreign organisms on its exterior, and failed to pass New Zealand's exacting biosecurity laws. The ship, along with Cunard's Queen Elizabeth, the Viking Orion, and the Coral Princess, is one of at least six cruise liners traveling in and around New Zealand since December to come into conflict with these regulations condemning those aboard to days of idleness at sea until a painstaking cleaning process performed by local companies in international waters can be completed. For passengers, some of whom had spent tens of thousands of dollars and awaited the cruise for years, it was a crushing and unanticipated blow. For those in the industry in Australia and New Zealand, though, the incidents were all too foreseeable, even if the cause of a spate of them occurring in such a short time frame remained mysterious. 
a lot of people are going to look at it at face value and say the cruise ships were negligent, said Ashley Coots, a marine invasion biologist and the chief scientist at the company Biofouling Solutions, based in Tasmania, the Australian island state. But there's a lot more to it, he said. Few countries take as many biosecurity precautions as New Zealand, which goes to great lengths to protect its natural ecosystems. Passengers who arrive by air, for example, are met at the airport by a phalanx of signs that urge them to dispense with any meat or vegetable products or face the consequences. Even a single undeclared apple tucked into hand luggage and forgotten about, may carry an instant fine of 400 New Zealand dollars, or about $250. A recent bill introduced in the country's parliament seeks to increase that fine almost threefold. New Zealanders largely support these efforts. Before the arrival of humans around 750 years ago, the archipelago had developed a unique ecosystem that soon proved vulnerable to the effects of overhunting and the introduction of non-native species like rats and weasels. Today, certain birds native to New Zealand can be found only on sanctuary islands, far from the threat of introduced pests. Others are long extinct. Strict regulations protect what is left. But fighting off invasions at sea has required a different tack. Marine organisms, including mussels, oysters, algae, crabs, and starfish, among a wider maritime cast, might hitch a ride either in the ballast water of ships, which helps the vessel's stability, or by clinging to their exteriors, where they are known as biofowl. A global agreement set by the regulatory authority known as the International Maritime Organization dictates how ships handle organisms found in ballast water. But no such agreement exists for biofowl, allowing countries to set their own policies. New Zealand's standards, introduced in 2018, were the first of their kind in the world and are the most stringent. They stipulate that vessels must have a clean hull with at most a coating of slime, stray gooseneck barnacles, and a smattering of other organisms on their exterior. Once an initial clean is completed, usually in Southeast Asia, and the accompanying paperwork has been filed, the ship has 30 days to make its way to New Zealand. Troubles arise if the authorities in New Zealand later conclude that the ship has not been sufficiently scoured, or if more biofowl accumulates on the ship as it wends its way to the country. It's not something where just because you clean it off, it suddenly stops. Marine growth continues to grow, especially at this time of year. In warmer waters, things grow very quickly, said Dr. Coots, the marine biologist. The poor cruise ship industry is really struggling. They're doing everything they can. Insufficient information about in-water cleaning policies and a lack of suitable equipment in the region further complicated compliance, Dr. Coots added. In a statement, Paul Hallett, a spokesman for Biosecurity New Zealand, said that the government agency had seen improved management of vessel hulls since the requirements were introduced. 
Ships have just started operating again post-pandemic, and it would be too early to say whether there is an increase or a decrease, he said, adding that occasional issues with cruise ships and biofowl occurred before the pandemic. Between January 2020 and September 2022, 6% of international vessels entering New Zealand were asked to address biofouling issues, Mr. Hallett said. For the passengers of the Viking Orion, watching a dive team at work cleaning the ship's hull was a particular highlight, especially after days spent sitting at sea and with the Australian mainland in sight. It was the best entertainment of the cruise at that point, said Christine Goff, a passenger from Denver, Colorado, in a phone interview. Over eight days, passengers aboard the Viking Orion were haunted by the ghosts of the trip they had been promised. Scheduled lectures, which went on as planned, delivered tantalizing introductions to the destinations they might never go to. Screens around the ship showed weather forecasts for the cities they would not visit. The forecasts could not be taken down, ship officials said, because they were controlled by technicians in California who were on vacation. Cracks began to show. Passengers noticed fewer crew members and were told that some had been waylaid by the coronavirus. At breakfast, passengers said that oatmeal had become watered down and eggs and fresh fruit vanished from the buffet. Rumors abounded that the ship had run out of rum, whiskey, and vodka, panicking those who did not want beer, wine, or any other substitutes. It seems crazy to complain about because you could get steak and shrimp whatever you wanted, said Ms. Goff, but it was obvious that they were starting to be cautious. Ms. Goff and her husband resolved to make the most of their time on the ship, spending quality time together that at home might be eaten up by work and other commitments. We'd have dinner, sit by the pool, go to the entertainment show in the evening, she said. We came home well-rested. There wasn't much to do but rest. But not every passenger was able to weather the delay so gracefully. One woman who had hoped to spend the long-planned trip seeing the animals of Australia and New Zealand as a last hurrah with her aging father was constantly teetering on the precipice of tears. Another passenger, Ms. Goff recalled, publicly declined the offer of a compensatory voucher for a future cruise, saying that he had chosen to take the trip after being diagnosed with terminal cancer and that he did not expect to live long enough to take any other cruises. If it was true, it was heartbreaking, Ms. Goff said. Different cruise companies have taken varying approaches toward compensating passengers waylaid by biofouling incidents. Regent has promised passengers a refund, said Mr. Hadlock, whereas Viking offered only a single-use cruise voucher, equivalent to the money paid for the ticket that expires after one year. In a statement after the voyage, a spokesman for Viking said that a limited amount of standard marine growth had now been successfully cleaned off the ship. Those who had missed ports had been provided with a voucher valued at 100% of what passengers had paid to Viking, which could be used for any future voyage, he said. 
Passengers who had attempted to seek cash refunds said they had been unsuccessful. A spokeswoman for Regent acknowledged in a statement the inconvenience, frustration, and disappointment the disruption had caused passengers. In situations like these, where ports are missed because of bad weather, mechanical difficulties, or emergencies like a person falling overboard, passengers have very little legal recourse. You have to look at the cruise ticket to determine what rights any passenger has, said Jim Walker, a Miami-based lawyer who specializes in cruise ships. And there aren't any. It only really contains limitations and exclusions that benefit the cruise lines. For passengers who had traveled thousands of miles and saved for the trip of a lifetime, those vouchers are a difficult reminder of what might have been. Others have been left with a bitter taste in their mouths and with questions to which they have found few answers. Mr. Hadlock, who had been aboard the Explorer, phrased it plainly. Passengers would still like to know how this happened, he said. How was a major cruise line caught so off guard by regulations? That story, Bio Fowl, the stowaway turning dream cruises into trips to nowhere. That story by Natasha Frost. Natasha Frost writes the Europe Morning Briefing and reports on Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific from Melbourne, Australia. At Natasha M. Frost. Next up, could air someday power your flight? Airlines are betting on it. New technologies, including one fuel extracted from the atmosphere itself, could make flying more sustainable. But the challenges are many, and the timeline is uncertain. This by Paige McClanahan. By the middle of this century, most cars and buses should be powered by renewable energy, while bikes, electric trains, and your own two feet will continue to have little impact on the climate. And if global aviation achieves the goal it adopted last year, then your 2050 flight from New York to Hong Kong will result in net zero carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. There's no guarantee that the industry will get there, but the technologies being developed in pursuit of the target will change aviation, regardless of whether the goal is met. In the years leading up to the pandemic, aviation emitted roughly a billion metric tons of carbon dioxide annually, about as much as the entire continent of South America in 2021. And the figures are bouncing back as passengers return to the skies. But major airlines, including six of the largest U.S. airlines, have pledged to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050, if not sooner. At a meeting in October of the United Nations Agency dedicated to civil aviation, delegates from 184 countries adopted net zero by 2050 as a long-term global aspirational goal. Aspirational is the operative word. Aviation is what experts refer to as a hard-to-abate sector, 
meaning there aren't currently any easy, market-ready technologies that can drastically reduce its carbon emissions. And the net qualifier attached to the goal means that airlines can account for any CO2 they continue to emit, either by using traditional carbon offsets, a practice that has attracted major criticism, or by capturing carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere. Scientists have also found that contrails, the wispy, short-lived clouds that sometimes appear in an airplane's wake, affect the planet's temperature, perhaps even more so than the carbon dioxide they release. It all adds up to a complex picture, especially given that global demand for aviation is expected to double over the next 20 years. But new technologies are in the works, including hydrogen-powered aircraft, fully electric planes, and synthetic jet fuel made from carbon extracted from the atmosphere. Several airlines have already begun adding a small amount of cleaner burning biofuel, known in the industry as Sustainable Aviation Fuel, or SAF, to their normal fuel supply, a trend that should accelerate. Many companies are getting out ahead of government regulations, investing in emissions-saving efficiency improvements, while also, in some cases, making big bets on long-shot innovations that could dramatically reduce emissions in the future. We have to start now, said Stephen Barrett, a professor of aeronautics and astronautics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the director of the MIT Laboratory for Aviation and the Environment. There's such huge inertia in the system that you really have to start decades ahead. But movement isn't happening as quickly as it could, said Pedro Pires Cabezas, Senior Director for Global Transportation and Lead Senior Economist at the Environmental Defense Fund, a New York-based nonprofit environmental group. He noted that delegates at the October meeting had yet to adopt a concrete plan to achieve their 2050 goal. We need these near-term and medium-term goals to start becoming more stringent, Dr. Pires Cabezas said. Moving toward alternative fuels. Airlines are already investing in improvements that can deliver relatively quick wins, retiring older aircraft, finding more efficient routes, having their planes taxi with only one engine running. But such measures go only so far. Another short-term innovation is sustainable aviation fuel, a type of biofuel that's most often made from used cooking oil and similar biomass. Over its life cycle, SAF can produce less carbon dioxide than conventional jet fuel, with which it may be blended. But SAF production remains limited, and it is expensive. So airlines have been moving slowly, mixing small amounts into their existing fuel supply at select locations. But enthusiasm inside the industry is high. We love SAF as an industry, said Sarah Bogdan, the head of sustainability and environmental and social governance at JetBlue Airways. 
Ms. Bogdan said SAF is mixed into the fuel supplies of JetBlue flights departing from the international airports in San Francisco and Los Angeles. The choice of airports is no accident. One of the few major suppliers of SAF has a production facility in California, and the state has introduced a low-carbon fuel standard that encourages SAF and other alternatives. United Airlines has also focused on some of its California flights when it comes to using SAF. Lauren Riley, the company's chief sustainability officer, said that SAF had been mixed into the fuel of every United flight that had departed from Los Angeles International Airport since 2016, and from Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam since last spring. United has also brought together a group of companies, including Deloitte. Nike and Siemens that pay to help the airline cover the additional cost of SAF for their business travel. If you went out and bought sustainable aviation fuel, it would be two to four times more expensive than the cost of conventional jet fuel. Ms. Riley said, "We cannot afford that on our own." Ms. Riley added that in any given year, SAF accounts for less than 0.1 percent of United's total fuel supply, a figure that holds true across the industry. United and JetBlue are among the more than two dozen airlines that have joined a coalition led by the World Economic Forum that has pledged to make SAF. Account for 10 percent of the aviation's fuel supply by 2030, but Dr. Pierus Cabasis warned that it is critical to guard against the risk that, for example, the supposedly used cooking oil in SAF production isn't actually fresh palm oil that has never seen the inside of a kitchen. In such a situation, he said, biomass-based SAF could actually have a negative impact by promoting the clearing of forests for monoculture plantations. It's extremely important that we make sure that we have a system that is robust, that has traceability, and that only incentivizes high-integrity fuels that are not going to have these negative impacts on forests," said Dr. Pierus Cabasas. Who classified the SAF now in circulation as untransparent, and noted that consumers could press their airlines for greater clarity. Power from the atmosphere. Transparency aside, there's an important barrier to producing huge volumes of SAF," said Andreas Schaefer, the director of the Air Transportation Systems Laboratory at University College London. We don't have nearly enough used cooking oil and similar biomass residues to produce anything like the amount of fuel that aviation requires. Dr. Shaver added that SAF is a misnomer. It should be more sustainable aviation fuel, he said, because the fuels still emit carbon dioxide. Scientists are exploring alternative sources of carbon for SAF, including algae. Yard trimmings and food waste, but perhaps the most intriguing potential source is the air we breathe, which, of course, is full of carbon dioxide. Researchers have already developed the technology for this process, known as power to liquid. 
It uses enormous fans to scrub carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, then extract the carbon from the CO2 molecule before combining it with hydrogen produced from water electrolysis that's powered by renewable energy. The result is a hydrocarbon that can be used to power an airplane. It's promising, Dr. Schaefer said, because there has been some quite rapid development in this area. The key challenge is the high cost. That cost is mainly because of the enormous amount of clean energy required to produce the fuel in significant volumes. But the cost of renewable electricity is falling so quickly that by 2035, power to electric fuel could be cheaper to produce than most SAF made from biomass. Another innovation has been on the radar since at least the Cold War hydrogen powered aircraft. But the engineering challenges here are significant. Hydrogen as a gas is too voluminous to be stored in useful quantities on board an airplane, so it has to be cooled to minus 253 Celsius, or about minus 423 Fahrenheit, the temperature at which hydrogen condenses into a liquid. Cryogenic infrastructure for fueling and storage would also need to be built at airports around the world. And that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us for the New York Times travel section. My name is Michelle Wexler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786 7777.